0: Hi friends and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. This episode is about psychological safety and team emotional intelligence as the antidote to the five dysfunctions of a team. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. So, I teach a lot of classes and it's kind of a cliche, but it's, it's the truth. My students are my teachers, they're my best teachers. In one of my recent classes on high performance team building, my students asked a lot of great questions and I had to pause and ponder and learn something new and get back to them after class. Here's one of those great questions along with my response. So the student asked about the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yes, in the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, the author says that trust is the most important skill for the team to work on. But Richard, he asked me, you say psychological safety and team emotional intelligence are the most important skills. What do you think about trust? All right, so this student was talking about Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, the subtitle is A Leadership Fable, which is a great story-based learning tool. And I encourage you to check out the graphic novel version of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I actually like it better than the original. Whatever your learning style is, you'll find the book engaging. It contains memorable insights into the way people work together or fail to work together in business. However, the book has been criticized by some, including Gordon Kerfee and Robert Hogan. Kerfee and Hogan are organizational psychologists and leadership researchers. They criticize the five dysfunctions for its lack of evidence-based validity and rigor and their book, The Rocket Model, practical advice for building high performance teams. Trust or its absence is the first dysfunction addressed in the book, the five dysfunctions. It's obvious that if we don't trust each other, we won't work well together. We won't make ourselves vulnerable to each other. We won't grow our team emotional intelligence. These are two additional important traits of great teams. Lencioni suggests activities to help teams build higher trust, including a series of personal disclosures. They share things about themselves to each other that they hadn't shared with anybody before. Kerfey and Hogan point out that there is little empirical evidence for sharing personal disclosures as an isolated technique and that it's the kind of activity which would need to be handled with great care if the team were in any way dysfunctional or mistrusting. You could end up with worse results. Let's keep in mind that the book, The Five Dysfunctions, is a work of fiction, after all. Its subtitle is A Leadership Fable. The team's personal disclosures build excellent dramatic tension within the story. But according to Katzenbach & Smith in their book, The Wisdom of Teams, Creating the High-Performing Organization, the High-Performance Organization, the only effective method for teams to build trust and cohesion is to do real work together. A standalone team-building activity outside the real work, like a Myers-Briggs type indicator activity, is not the real work. It might help build some mutual awareness, but it won't instantly create mutual trust. I've paraphrased some of this from the criticism section in the Wikipedia article about the book, The Five Dysfunctions. Trust takes time to build in increments of behavior and outcome, none of which is great for a fictional narrative trying to illustrate a point rapidly. Trust is also fragile and it can be damaged rapidly which is one of the reasons that anyone who feels insecure about trust in their team is probably going to resist any activity that forces them to make disclosures they're not ready for. When exercises like this are performed in an unengaged arms length kind of way, they can even make things worse. For example, one team member might kind of just be checking the box by being present at the workshop, but not sharing anything particularly meaningful. While another team member might be disclosing a lot of deeply personal things and and they'll feel vulnerable to the point of being naked, the trust level will end up worse than before. Another important point to consider is that in the story, the company leaders don't identify the leadership team as their primary team. This is a critical insight. Each of them manages a specialty skill area like marketing or R&D. They identify with their specialty area as their primary team, rather than with the leadership team as their primary team. But to foster the organization's best performance, the leadership team is where the trust needs to begin. In lean terms, we would say that leaders are sub-optimizing. They seek to optimize their specialty area rather than optimizing the whole organization. To be most effective, they should adjust to their definition of primary team. They should identify with the leadership team as their primary team. And they should think of their specialty areas, the group of people they manage, as the people who execute specialty skills on their behalf for the benefit of the leadership team and of the organization as a whole. For example, the marketing leader's primary team would be the leadership team. She would align with the rest of the leaders and offer to do marketing-related work for the leadership team. She would execute that work using her marketing organization. The marketing organization is her execution team doing the work for her in the service of her primary team, the company leaders. It's a common problem for senior leadership in many organizations. By nature, the leadership team is composed of experts from each specialty department who each see themselves as competing for budget and other resources and who each have different priorities when they make decisions. They spend most of their time with their specialty subteam, and thus they build stronger personal, stronger personal relationships there. They each come to the boardroom on behalf of their team. It takes a deliberate shift to start to see the C-suite or senior management team as the primary unit in which they act. The core protocols are an antidote to the five dysfunctions problem. When the leaders come together as a cohesive primary team, they perform better, as individuals, as a leadership team, as specialty area sub and as a whole organization. Everything in the core protocols starts with action, behavior, bringing teammates together in a safe way. Deliberately adopting these practices at the top is a great way to begin cascading these behaviors throughout the entire organization. Once you optimize the leadership team, the rest of the teams follow their example. The leaders model the optimal behaviors in all their interactions. This is what fixes trust issues at every level. Everyone participates consensually and transparently safe to be creative and effective within guide rails that shape the way they interact with each other. The core protocols have a strong relationship to the science and research on great teams. We know from the science and research that great teams have skills for freedom and autonomy, self-awareness, connecting with each other, productivity, and error handling. These skills are universally applicable in whatever industry the organization is engaged with, and in whatever operational area each team member is responsible for. Above all, the core protocols are a way to transform a leadership team into a really great team. The steps we go through in class help individuals form together as a strong primary team and give them the skills to maintain that strength together. So thanks for joining me in this episode and remember to support this podcast visit my website, kasparowski.com.